0: Welcome to another episode of Upto. Eight years ago, Upto started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives and in doing so have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host as always is Adam Kaufman and we're glad to have a favorite guest return today. Philippe Bourguignon. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.
1: During the first season of the Up to podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make, happily, is to partner with Vivid Front, a full-service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals, and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine, Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader,
0: Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest, Philippe Bourguignon. Our guest today has
1: been the CEO of major international organizations, both in the U.S. and abroad. He was the CEO of Euro Disney... The CEO of Club Med, the CEO of Exclusive Resorts, the co-CEO of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, also the CEO of Miraval, a luxury resort. And he has served on the board of directors of major corporations like the e-commerce leader eBay for 10 years, and luxury icon Neiman Marcus, as well as one of my favorite fast casual restaurants in the U.S., Kava, based in DC, but with about, I think, 100 locations all over the U.S. I've gotten to know our guest today most closely as an annual participant at a very special event he co-hosts each September in Chamonix, France, which of course Americans could not attend this year. C'est dommage. (laughs) But today we are very fortunate to have Philippe Bourguignon with us today live from France.
2: Bonjour, mon ami. Bonjour. How are you? Good. What have you been up to? Like you, Adam, and... uh and everybody else uh, up to a lot of things. (laughs) Tell (laughs) me, what have you you been doing with yourself? Well, first of all, I I came to France for two weeks from uh, Washington DC, where I live. This was in late February, early March, and the COVID caught me in Paris. A ban was put in place, not allowing Europeans, even those like me with a working visa. Mm -hmm. Uh, not being able to go back to the U.S., except I could have gone back in 48 hours. We were allowed two days. I remember that. But like everybody else, I felt it would take two weeks or maybe three weeks. Right. So I decided to stay in France for that period, and I've been here for nine months. Nine months. Now, you said the COVID caught you. Do you mean
1: that's where you were? You didn't personally get coronavirus, right? No, no, no. It
2: just happened uh, that I, uh, obviously, I heard about it before. hmm The monthly barometer, you know, the think tank you talked about. Yes. Alerted us around mid-February that this, uh, this uh, virus was something very serious. Right. Uh, by the way, if I uh, may make a side here, while I was the, um, the co-CEO of Davos, We had a session in Davos 2003 on what's called systemic risks, which are very large, significant risk. And this was back in Uh, 2003. 2003. A long time ago. And I opened that session and I I presented uh, not only the state of the world quickly, Mm -hmm. but what those systemic risks could be, like the collapse of an electrical grid and all of a sudden – North America has no electricity for five days. Mm. Actually, that happened. It, no, it yeah. happened in regions. Yeah, New it York, DC, Cleveland. It may yeah. happen yeah. one day in, in the United States and Canada together for a week. Uh, same thing with the web. It may happen. Okay, so it the the chances are remote, but this little chance has amazing consequences. Yes, and we obviously mentioned pandemic as one of the. Possibilities And the idea was uh, to alert the leaders of the world in Davos that they had to get ready for it and that the world was not prepared for it. Mm. And uh, to my disappointment, since 2003, and maybe a few people talked about it before me, obviously, nothing has been done. Bill Gates famously, right? Bill Gates, uh, actually, the session I opened was a session between Bill Gates and Bill Clinton on, on this very subject. Bill Clinton raised it also. Bill Gates raised it. A lot of people raised it, but nobody dealt with it. Do you think people now are beginning
1: to realize that we have to think long-term about risk, not just like dealing with today's fires and putting them out? Post-COVID, are we going to be proactive for the long-term? I hope
2: so. You know, I was uh, hoping uh, politicians, as well as uh, some economic leaders, but mostly Mm -hmm. politicians, Mm -hmm. uh, take the organization of the state has granted, mm. and, and they don't challenge it. So uh, we've been living, whether it is in France, in Germany, in the UK, and obviously in the US, or in Canada or elsewhere, we, with an administration which kept building layers over years, and, um, and, and the politicians accept this as a fact. What do you mean by layers? Administration is made of added layers of people or new committees. Bureaucratic uh, layers, got it. Yes. And okay. some countries have more, like yes. France. Some countries have a little less, maybe the United States, even though in the United States, you have a complexity because you have it at state level and you have right. it at federal level. And I was hoping that we would take this huge, phenomenal crisis. To deal with it, to wake up and say, we have to simplify things. We have to Mm -hmm. be able to move faster. By the way, look, on the vaccines, people are moving faster than they have ever done. So it is possible. Yes. It should be possible in day-to-day things. It doesn't have to be possible only to deal with the pandemic. So I hope that one good consequences Mm -hmm. of this pandemic is that we will simplify the administrative layers. I like that. So we jumped right
1: into you know the serious topic of the world, COVID, but let's back up for a minute, Philippe. What have you been doing with your time since you unexpectedly found yourself? I mean, I know you love France, you're from France, but you're used to traveling all over the world. So how have you spent your time being forced to stay in one country?
2: So, first of all, it's the first time in, uh, I guess, 45 years, I have to make computation, that I have not traveled in that longer period of time. 45 I, I, years. I don't think that in the last 40 years I have stayed uh, in the same place for more than two weeks, uh, except maybe a little bit my time at uh, CEO of Euro Disney, where I was going back to the U.S. every six weeks, kind of. Okay. But uh, other than that, I've been uh, traveling extensively all my life. You're always on the move. And this was kind of a choice. I wanted to discover the world. When I was young, my goal in life was to find a job, not paying well, but allowing me to travel. Mm. So obviously, that's a change. Now you get used to it. You know, it's fine. I um, and there, there are worse places getting stuck in than France. I have a nice place in Paris and two beautiful homes. One in the forest one hour west of Paris, one in south of France. So I spent the first three months of confinement in the forest. Mm. And I rediscovered my forest, even though I knew it for, we had this home for 30 years. I did not know the forest as well as I do now. I walked every day. I had new ideas every day walking. Uh, you know, I walk and I sit, put notes in my cell phone. <laughs> that must have been uh, kind of wonderful. I mean, no, no, it was wonderful. And it was in the spring. You know, I did, by the way, I did something I never did. I did a picture of the same tree every day for three months during the spring. What a great idea. You should see it. It's amazing. I want to see First, it. First, there are no leaves. Uh, secondly, there are leaves. Then there are flowers. And then the flowers are blooming and they are right. bigger and then they change color. And, you know, what a great idea. In fact, I work very hard because we have, uh, at Revolution, I've been uh, working for 15 years with Steve Case in, uh, in Washington. And at Revolution, we have a number of companies and obviously right. a lot of young leaders. And uh, they needed some uh, help and advice to muddle through this crisis. So, in fact, I've, uh, I've not been busy as I've been the last nine months for a long time either.
1: Did you just say you're you're more busy now? Yes. In spite of being in France.
2: At the France. same time, at the same time, you leave. So what I've been through is what's interesting is, you you work where you live, mm-hmm. so in my forest and in south of France, you don't have commute time. You're not rushing to the airport, mm-hmm. so you have more quality time. Absolutely. That's what i discovered. I've noticed that myself. And uh, so I do an hour to an hour and a half uh, walking every day, but it's much less than the wasted time I had. So this was good. Uh, Also, despite the crisis and the intensity of the exchange with our leaders, uh, I think I've been more creative during that period than I've been in a very long time.
1: Isn't that interesting? You've been more creative. You've said a few interesting things that I want to delve into a little bit. So you were saying that, with Revolution, which is a venture capital firm, you've had to spend more time with the portfolio company founders and the entrepreneurs leading those companies. Like what were you helping them do?
2: Well, uh, first of all, you know, I I went through a a few crises in the past, not as severe as this one, but different type of crisis. And what I learned particularly in in, uh, September 11, you know, I was the CEO of Club Med at the time and our business stopped overnight. Okay, Mm. so, and you learn that things are moving faster than you can control. So the only way to manage a crisis like this is to prepare for any sort of, how do you say? um, I think
1: we call it contingency planning, planning for different contingencies. it's a
2: little more than contingency, but the idea is to do a plan A, A, that's your base plan, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, should be for like three months, not for one year, okay, yeah. Then you do a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E. And depending what happens, you click on plan B or plan C mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're ready to do it. In other words, you have already talked to your board, you have talked to your investors, you have prepped your team, your management team. Yes. And when the situation happens, you just have to click to plan C and you implement it right away rather than losing or wasting another two or three weeks which is a lot of time in a crisis. Things move quickly. So I'm telling you, by the way, I admire all the CEOs I've been dealing with because they reacted very promptly. Some like immediately. They faced reality immediately. Some say, well, Philippe, we're going to revise our budget a little bit. I say, no, 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 that's not enough. So they, they, they had to wait another week to realize that, you know, what you told them a week before was actually happening. But I'm telling you, within two weeks, everybody had five, six, seven different plans.
1: Mm, that's great. Now, am I correct? Didn't you also help your daughter start a business
2: during COVID or right before? Uh, it's a little more than that. We, we had an idea together mm-hmm. and uh, like three years ago, and we work on the idea slowly but surely, being Washington, my daughter in Paris, and it's called an urban oasis. Urban oasis. Is that outside Paris or where? Where is no, that? No, it's in Paris, right in the center, in um, next to the opera. Ooh. And it's what, a place. What arrondissement
1: is that? The ninth. The ninth. Okay. For our Which listeners who like want to you know, look Paris. for it. Okay.
2: okay. Uh, at the opera, and uh, no, no, it's an amazing place. It's a place where people can reconnect. You know, today people are kind of disconnected. They have more connection with the cover of the iPhone than they have with another individual.
1: Isn't that so true?
2: And uh, so you have to create opportunities for people to uh, reconnect. That must be so
1: meaningful for you to launch a business with your daughter at this point in your own career.
2: It's fantastic. And then uh, my son who had an interesting job resigned and said, I want to join you, have fun with you. So he's Oh, I didn't know that. Okay,
1: that's great. Well, tell me more about, like, how are you doing during this period of time, given that you've had to stay in country? It's wonderful your family's there, but how how have you been through all this?
2: Well, uh, unfortunately, it was not my whole family because we were not allowed to have the whole family. So I was with my wife, which is great, by the way. Of course. But my children and grandchildren, I did not see them for like three months originally. Mm. And now, by the way, I... um, I walk in Paris because I'm currently in Paris. So instead of the forest, I do different itineraries. And uh, yesterday was Sunday. Mm -hmm. We walked with my daughter, my son-in-law, and two of my three grandchildren. We walked around Montmartre, all the small streets, which I've not done in, I think, 20 years. Wow. And are the artists out
1: painting in Montmartre? Are they always no, know, the no street more painters, side artists? No, no, no,
2: no, no tourists, no painters, whatever. But uh. you see, in fact, you see the place, the buildings, the architecture. The other thing is, which really has been for me uh, very interesting, is that walking in Paris, you watch, you look at things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that Paris was beautiful, but I'm telling you, it's amazingly beautiful. The architecture is amazing. One of the prettiest the cities in the neighborhoods world. neighborhoods are changing from one place to the other and so on. And, you know, when you are in a car or in public transportation or on the phone in the car, you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. So now I see things. And I'm telling you one thing uh, which this crisis will have uh, anchored into me. Yes, I'm not going to give up my long walk every day, ever. F-
1: Philippe, I love hearing that. And I cannot tell you how many places my wife and I have been walking – whether it's in our own neighborhood or somewhere around the world and she brings up usually first Philippe tells us to meander he wants us to walk we can't race from point A to point B and you've taught us how to take different paths to the same destination and what you can learn by seeing different people and in different settings and and that has really lasted with us so thank you for that uh, on
2: Friday I walked to a, a place in my neighborhood where I've not been walking a lot, um, and, and certainly not in the recent uh, past. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, a lycée, which is a high school called Louis Le Grand. Uh, the, the school was built under Napoleon, so the architecture is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I convinced the guy at the entrance to let me walk in. Hmm. It took me five minutes of talk, <laughs> and uh, he let me in. And then I started talking with students okay and oh, it was fantastic <laughs> i bet wow <laughs> it was, yes no no it was uh these are you know i keep saying uh, we had discussion on this uh, life is made of encounters and moments and this was mm-hmm. a moment you know what i moment. wish i can do one day adam what you and i and your wife tell me go to lebanon walking beirut i cannot
1: wait Let's plan for that. I just got chills on my neck thinking about that. Let's make that a goal. I think
2: I I told you uh, like uh, two months ago, I was, um, I went to, uh, and this was before this explosion in the the port.
1: Mm, The awful ammonium nitrate explosion in the warehouse on August 4th, yes. It
2: was just before, Mm -hmm. but I read a book on the evolution of uh, Lebanon and Syria, and uh, it gave me a little uh, nostalgia of my time there. Mm-hmm. And I watched uh, Google Earth, and I meandered in Beirut, but with Google Earth. <laughs> wow. You, meand- and, you used that you technology know, to I meander. And I found some places where I used to go. It was, That's yeah.
1: wonderful. Well, I would love for us to do that someday, and it, it is a definite goal. And then that will give us a reason to have a third podcast. Do you know, Philippe? I've had now thirty guests on our show, thankfully, with Dave Douglas here as our able producer. And you're only the second person that I've asked to have back for a second time. your Your first appearance on the show was so interesting, and the feedback we got was really compelling from our listeners. So really, really glad you're back with us today. You're listening to the Up to podcast. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To Podcast. I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. One of the aspects of podcasting I enjoy the most is the ability to delve into long form discussions without any interruption other than a periodic commentary about one of our partners. I'm grateful that Calfee, Ohio-based law firm, has agreed to partner with us. They have offices throughout Ohio and also in Washington, D.C., in New York, and Indianapolis, too. They are a full-service firm, every type of legal need. One example I'll share right now, because so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, is not too long ago, a friend of mine sold his company to a public corporation. And with that came some restrictions and ramifications on his future employment. And to navigate through that properly, he asked my advice. And without hesitation, I recommended Calfi because I knew they'd have the right type of specialist to help him with his particular needs. And my friend continues to rave about that experience. And I'm very grateful that Calfi has agreed to partner with UpTo. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, uh, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee. You can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to the UpTo Podcast with Adam Kaufman. Today's guest,
2: Philippe Bourguignon. My father used to tell me when I was young and I totally forgot it, that the most important decision you make every day Mm -hmm. is to be in good mood. Be
1: in a good mood. So you you learned that from your father. I was planning on asking you that day. You're the most optimistic, glass half full guy I know. You're always making people laugh. You're always lifting Mm -hmm. up others around you. So I was planning on bringing this up. So continue about what your father taught. you?
2: So he told me, and I can't forget. But I'm, I'm generally speaking in good mood. Uh, you so definitely I'm, are. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lucky. It's my DNA, and I think it's, it's an expression. But it's hard to decide to be in good mood if you're in bad mood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But anyway, this year, independent from the COVID, before that, I decided to read books on the history of countries where I've been traveling and which I like. Mm-hmm. So that's why you know I lived in Beirut, as you know, um, back in the mid seventies. Uh, but I also have a lot of connection with uh, Vietnam, okay. or let's say what used to be called Indochina—Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and so on. And uh, so I read a book on the on the French War, you know, the War of Indochina, not the Vietnam War, the war the, the war before. Okay, and um, I decided to adopt what I call the indo philosophy. For your own life. For, so what is the Indochine? When they were at war against the French, they did not try to understand why the French were fighting them. They didn't try to understand why the French were bombing them. What they were doing is fighting with their sticks in tunnels or trades, which they did themselves in the jungle. And that's how they won the war. So I have my little stick, and I'm digging my own little tunnel, and I'm going through this crisis. (laughs) Well, about
1: your own mood and your own happiness and your father's uh, encouragement to try to be that way, it really is remarkable how you always seem to be so happy in finding things to laugh about. How do you, Philippe, like get... Unstuck. How do you get out of bad moods? Is there some practice or some train of thought that you try to implement to put you back into that better place?
2: No, it's just, again, uh, it's this combination, I, I said, of moments and encounters. So I've been walking uh, alone for quite some time at the beginning mm-hmm. of this crisis. And one day when I moved back to Paris, I decided to reconnect with a number of people I've not seen in years. You know, remember, I I left France 15 years ago for Washington, and there are a number of people I've not seen in 20 years. So I reconnected with them, and they are, it's strange because when I call them, uh, I say, Well, are you ready for a walk? (laughs) And uh, we walk in a neighborhood, we decide which one, and uh, we walk together. We have not met in a long time, and we talk about things. And then you have entirely different angles, you you know, and people will talk about, we'll talk about different subjects. Sure, uh, And we try to avoid to talk about uh, COVID because it becomes an obsession. The Absolutely. problem, again, my Indochina theory is that we should stop blaming everybody. Okay, mm-hmm. the administration is doing a number of mistakes, this, this and that. But if the only way you leave is by criticizing everybody that the crisis could have been managed better, mm-hmm. then you don't make it.
1: That's so not going to So you help ignore us. it.
2: And you are careful when you meet people, obviously, Yes, And you talk about every subject except this one. Mm. And it's terribly helpful.
1: So these walks with old acquaintances, old friends, has helped to to keep your spirits up. When you walk alone, are you listening to anything? Whether it's music, I know you love music, or podcasts, or books on tape, or are you just listening to the... The city or the forest? No, usually
2: I, uh, at the beginning when I was in the forest, I would, uh, let's say if I walked like 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. I would give uh, 30 minutes calls. Again, same thing, reconnecting people, talking to them. Yes. Um, Every day, um, no, one, two or three maybe. Okay. And and then I would just walk. Uh, In the forest, I learned from a guy who did a nervous breakdown and was saved from his nervous breakdown by reconnecting with nature, Mm. that it is important to connect with trees. And uh, so now I'm I'm connecting with trees. It looked to me totally stupid, honestly, the (laughs) first time I did it, but uh, he explained to me, Philippe, because you walk in your forest, go and you embrace the tree. You put Mm. your arms around the tree, you Mm. breathe deeply, and you, and you feel the vibrations of the tree. It's amazing.
1: Well, I love how you took a picture of the same tree throughout COVID to see the changing stages of life of the tree. That's yeah. pretty powerful, too.
2: Yeah, but it's, an, it's a stupid idea I had one day and I did it. But it's, and that's then, not stupid. And then I was very proud I did it.
1: <laughs> that should go on your personal website. I'd love to see those photos. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty interesting. And then I know you like poetry too, so I'm already imagining some sort of combination of art and poetry and nature. So if if you could get that done by tomorrow, that'd be great. I can send you a link on the Google <laughs> Photos. <laughs> I would love that. We'd share that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> When I was um, preparing for this, I was reminded that you've talked about five crises in your life, and among those five crises, that you've learned different things out of each crisis. Now, we're not going to talk about all five here, but could you give me an example of a crisis, and then maybe something you've learned? We already talked about 9-11 and how quickly businesses have to change gears, but Tell us about another crisis. This is what I call navigating curves in the road. No,
2: I will give you a, a little sentence or a quote for each of those, and which represent what I felt at the time. You know. Go ahead. So uh, my first crisis was in the Middle East, and uh, I am going to Cairo to finalize a deal uh, for a hotel in uh, okay. Cairo. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working for Accor. And uh, I fly into Cairo, and the day after the the war of six days starts, mm, six day war, and I'm stuck in Cairo. At the time, no cell phone, no, no, uh, no fax, you telex, you had telex, whatever. And I got stuck there, mm. and uh, I didn't know what to do. I could not even talk to uh, anybody, and I could not leave the country. And we were buried behind sandbags, uh, because of the bombing. Right. So. Um, I made, uh, I read at that time, Henri de Montfred. Henri de Montfrère is a French adventurer who, who is a great writer and was importing gold from India into Dubai on those boats, you know. At, uh, this is back in uh, the 1870s. Yes. Yeah. So he said, never be afraid of life, never be afraid of adventure, trust, chance, luck, destiny. Like that. So that's my take. Uh, so I stayed in a in a Cairo for like uh, four weeks, mm. and then we shuffled. So um, that's one. The second one was a huge crisis at Euro Disney, where losing tons of money uh, on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that it was better to live alive in mediocre health than be dead in good health. Mm. So that so, was like a
1: personal decision for your own well. It's a personal
2: decision. So which was helping making decisions every day. Otherwise, would have, like, died. Was okay. that a huge decision for you to make, or did you make oh, it? It was pretty- a huge decision because um, it was against some interest of the Walt Disney Company. And do you think uh, now that did-
1: you're glad you made that
2: decision I'm to so leave? glad I made it. And by the way, I got congratulated by Frank Wells and Michael Eisner at the time mm. that I actually did it. Yeah, you had the courage to make such a big decision. Uh, It looks like a stupid one, be alive. But it it means that you do things which may affect your long term future but help you survive.
1: Yeah, I don't think it looks stupid at all. I mean, look how happy Mm -hmm. you are and how much meaning you give others. So it was a a great decision.
2: Then there was the 2008 crisis, which you know, obviously, and uh, we had invested in a number of companies. The economic crisis. Okay. What I learned there was that there are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. Okay. That's kind of like now. And uh, it, it, this was what I call the Lehman Brother week. Remember? Oh okay. yeah. And now uh, COVID. So here is one thing I, I wrote. I'm I'm going to get something. You know, one of my little notes. Yes. I one told of the you 15 about. notes, so yes. COVID life has become the embodiment of the Eisenberg uncertainty principle. One cannot measure both the position and velocity of an object at the same time. That's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Who's Heisenberg? Uh, a scientist. Forgive me, I don't know. I've heard of yeah. Heisenberg from
1: the TV show Breaking Bad, Walter no, White. No, 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 called no. no, no Heisenberg. <laughs> is that the same
2: guy, Dave? Uh, no, it's, def- it's definitely not. No, it's not. No, no, no. Quantum physics. So the consequence is the following, Adam. We may know where we are, but we don't know where we are going. However, sometime we may know where we are going, but we have no idea where we are. That's true. So that's what I learned with
1: COVID. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. Okay. You could write a whole book about that alone.
2: So I have a, I wrote a, not a whole book, but two pages. Again, I'm going to assemble one day. Yes. Okay. You have a lot of good so, material here. So is that four of the five
1: crises? or did you summarize no, all No that's of them?
2: all I had other crises I had yeah. uh, obviously but um, uh, you know including being uh, put in jail in Syria which is an adventure you you went in you were imprisoned in Syria what did you do to lead to that <laughs> No but it's the whole story I did nothing wrong I uh, uh, of course, I went that's to visit the minister of defense who owned a piece of land on which we could do a hotel It was was a nice negotiation. I go to visit him at the Minister of Defense. They ask me my passport. They take my passport, and they ask me to wait in a waiting room. And all of a sudden— I need context. What year is this? How old are you? This is uh, 74. Okay, so you're pretty young at the time. 74, 75. Uh, Yes, I'm still pretty young, yes. Yeah. Then suddenly, two guys show up with uh, Kalashnikov— (laughs) you're AK-47s, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they say, where is your, uh, do you have an ID? I say, no, I left it at the reception. I'm here to meet the minister. Oh, no, 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 no. If you don't have an ID, follow us. And I followed them and they put me in a jail set. A oh, my gosh. <laughs> Weren't you so nervous? And in fact, it was one of our competitors, uh, another hotel company. I won't mention the name. Okay. Who had a go-between who organized it so that they could sign the contract instead of me while I was in jail. Wow. (laughs) I can't believe the Ritz-Carlton would do that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) By the way, it's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) These these were different types.
1: Oh my gosh. Do you ever think about um, who's watching you? I mean, you had some role models growing up. We've talked about your father a little bit today. But do you ever think about who's watching you, whether it's these entrepreneurs that you're helping or your children, of course?
2: Well, I, uh, again, the the people who uh, have um, counted in my life and made me uh, who I am today mm-hmm. are obviously my uh, my family, my dad, I, uh, who, who kept telling me I should uh, dream and play uh, all of my life, that I shouldn't stop playing because I did... Uh, a master in economics (laughs) Um, and and not taking myself seriously. So that's what I remember. My wife, you know, we married a very long time ago and uh, she made me more generous. More generous. Yes. And more grateful than I was originally. But also uh, I will tell you a, a story because she was very nervous that becoming CEO of those companies and then you have a driver at some times at Euro Disney because of the, of the war and the terrorist, I had a bodyguard. Mm. She got concerned that I would kind of lose it. And, uh, you know, be <laughs> one of those guys disconnected from day-to-day reality. So one day she told me she, told me she was worried about it and she says, well, you know what? You should take the metro at least once a week to stay close to people great advice. So since then, even though uh, not in the last few months, because I don't take the metro with the COVID uh, around, uh, but I'm, each time I'm in Paris, I'm taking the metro once in a while. You, you stay in touch with realities.
1: See, I love that story. I didn't know that about you. This show, Philippe, the theme is leaders who are as humble as they are successful. And that, that story of you accepting Martine's advice to take the metro once a week so that you're not detached... That illustrates your humility that you've been doing that. And that probably has helped keep you
2: grounded, wouldn't you think? Uh, definitely. Martin helped me uh, keep grounded. Another of my mentors, if you want, is a person called Adrian Zeka. Adrian Zeka is a Chinese from uh, Singapore. He is the one who created Aman Resorts. And before that, he was a journalist and, the, and a newspaper owner. And we worked together on, uh, before he started man. he helped me developing Accor in Asia. Okay? Yes. One day partner. we fly between Chiang Mai and Singapore. And on the plane, he tells me, Philippe, you are not doing well. I said, yes, I'm doing fine. I'm great. I'm, uh, he said, no, 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 no. I can't say you're not doing well. Uh, and he insisted, insisted. And he said, you have to take two days and reflect on yourself. I said, I don't, I don't have the time mm-hmm. to do it. And he forced me to do it. And he forced me the following way. Philippe, time creates time. If you are stressed and nervous, you are not efficient. That's true. So take those two days and reflect on yourself. So did I, and it changed my life. Wow. And every, every six to eight weeks, I'm taking a day and a half or two days with myself. And it has helped me tremendously during this crisis, because now it is not a day and a half every six weeks. It's like an hour and a half every day. Right. I'm with myself.
1: But it's that same practice of just reflecting. Yes,
2: that's why I wanted to tell you about this.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you did. What's the second one? You said you had two additional
2: snippets. Well, I'll try. The second one is a person called Frank Wells. I don't remember, remember him. He was the president of the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Before Michael Eisner? No, below Michael Eisner, as a partner to Michael Eisner. Okay. And uh, Frank was an extraordinary man. And he told me when I took over Euro Disney, when I became CEO, he told me, he took me around my shoulder, showing me the castle, and he said, Philippe, now this is yours. Do your own mistakes. Wow. But then he added, Philippe, you're going to have a tough job. And you're going to have to fight against the French government, against the Walt Disney Company, against whatever. So the only guide you should have is you make the decision which is good for the company. Mm. If it's against the Walt Disney Company, do it. I may fight against it, but I will always respect you if you do it. And that's why I could do what I told you a little earlier. To leave eventually.
1: Yes. So the advice was do what's best for Euro Disney, even if it's against Walt Disney Corporation.
2: Or against the French government or against whatever. Right. Do what's good for Euro Disney. So do you think when you left Euro Disney,
1: that was good for Euro Disney or was that good for you? (laughs) Because uh, I bet they'd be better with you there. But I'm glad. I'm glad you made the decision.
2: I'm, I'm being a little bit funny. But no, the decision. Uh, no, uh, you. It's a good. It's a good question. And you almost uh, succeeded in, in uh, destabilizing me. But you are not going <laughs> I, to. I'm not going to. The reason I left to. Disney is that Michael Eisner wanted me to move back to Los Angeles mm-hmm. to run the Walt Disney Company International. Okay. And my wife didn't want to move back to Los Angeles because we had moved like five years before. And it was a tremendous difficulty for my children. Mm, And she says, you destabilize them once moving from New York to L.A. and then L.A. to Paris. You cannot, after five years in France, take them back to the U.S.
1: Understood. Good for the family to make the decision you made. So that's why I left. Yeah, right. I want to now switch gears if we could, because I love your ability to identify trends. I've always noticed that about you. And I wanted before we left to ask you about one area of your expertise, and that is tourism, tourism and travel. You've often worked in the leadership roles around tourism and travel. So what are you thinking about post-COVID now? What is travel going to be looking like in five years? If you could give us a, a peek behind the proverbial curtain in your mind of, of that trend?
2: So um, how can I say? I, I do not believe in trends because trends it's already the past. You know, you need to try to create trends.
1: See, that's what you're so brilliant at. Here you are saying the trend is too late. That's awesome. Keep going.
2: So I don't know what the trends will be, but I have hope on one of our things. You know, this crisis, I told you I had a hope, which is that Politicians will uh, take advantage of the crisis to simplify the way countries are run. Yes. So I hope that travel and tourism will go back to basics, and will reoffer opportunities for people to recover, to renew, to heal, mm. an opportunity for rebirth. Celebrate the fact that we're alive. Yes. In the past, vacations was meant to rest your body. Yes. Today, it is meant to revigorate your brain because stress is much more painful on your body than your muscles being tired. The problem is tourism is still based on those mega resorts, those travel. Uh, it's still based on, they call it experience, but it's not experience. This, it's still based on those commodities, laying on a beach, reading a book, mm-hmm. playing tennis or playing golf.
1: Or the type of cocktail poolside that you're going to be served.
2: Uh, Exactly. Right. Uh, I hope this is uh, the past. I also remember the time where I was a student in uh, Aix-en-Provence, I told you at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and I was going to Marseille airport to see the 747, which Air France just acquired, you know, practice landing and takeoff in Marseille. This is the time tourism started unraveling. Mm-hmm. Because there was a huge overcapacity of seats built in the following ten years, so I'm telling you, this is uh, uh, in the early '80s. You had way too much seats, so people, uh, so airlines had to sell seats very cheaply, and people started traveling like crazy. Mm-hmm. So you go two days in New York, you go three days here, you go one week in three different places, and then you have cruise ship who vomit. 3,000 tourists in a little city like Dubrovnik in Croatia, which is absolutely beautiful, but where you cannot walk anymore because you have too many people in the Mm. small streets. I'm sorry, here I'm talking with passion. No, I I love it. I hope this tourism, which we call over-tourism, is dead, or at least will decline. By the way, it is interesting, I noticed last week that Key West had decided not to accommodate cruise ships anymore.
1: My sister lives in Key West, and I read that as well. They were both in the hospitality industry, she and her husband, and they hated how the cruise ships would inundate their tiny little island and take up their water and their roads and,
2: you know, the most basic things that the locals exactly. needed. Yeah, I saw it, uh, you know, I was in charge of my Asia Pacific. I saw it coming to Tahiti. But, uh, mm. but again, there are cities which I really like, uh, Dubrovnik in Croatia, uh, but even Paris, I do my walks. Mm-hmm. When I was doing my walks at the beginning of the COVID, you walk by Le Louvre and you have 3,000 tourists waiting at the entrance and all trying to take the same picture on the same bench because <laughs> this was on Instagram. Right. I call it Instagramization of tourism. So hopefully, over-tourism will decline, mass tourism and charters, Hopefully, air will become a little more expensive. Not that I want to be selective, but if people have to afford the trip, they will pick and choose really what they like and, and, and want to do. I hadn't thought about it that way. It's brilliant. And uh, more connection with uh, Mother Nature. I think it's the return to nature also. So you have, um, you, you have amazing places which people have ignored in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And hopefully they're going to rediscover those places. Dave, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I'm just
0: like amazed at this conversation because of all the people to talk about traveling less. It's Philippe, who you've been involved with the travel industry, with the entertainment industry. Like this has been your whole life. And you of all people have traveled way more than most people have. So it's really interesting bringing up this idea of people traveling less. More selectively. But connecting more with those experiences. And I think that's an interesting parallel too because you've talked about this urban oasis and you've you've talked about, you know, uh, these places that you've been and your your walks. Like it's all about this honesty and slowing down and real connection with people, with experiences. Do you feel like it, it was always built into you or is it just taking all these things you've learned from people you respect. That's what
2: travel teaches you when you pay attention to uh, the places you are visiting, Uh, you know, rather than doing pyjama tours, as uh, they are called. By the way, with my wife, uh, we decided that uh, when I start slowing down sometime, um, (laughs) we would uh, travel a little bit, but much less. Mm-hmm. And we will travel only to a few selected places where I've been and where I know people who I really like, I have not seen in a long time. Like Cleveland, Ohio. You visited us like, in Cleveland. You liked why, it. Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. I did. We went to the
1: Rock the Hall. of Fame. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. I remember very well. I remember very well. But I want to go back to New Zealand because I know very interesting people. And that's where I, uh, I was taught how to sell, you know, in, a, in a, an effective way. I would like to go back to Vietnam and Cambodia, which we talked about because I know interesting people there, but that's all I want to, to do. Be more
1: selective about yes. how you spend your more time. More
2: selective, quality time, mm-hmm. meeting people, reconnecting with people.
1: Well, I absolutely love that we were able to reconnect with you today, Philippe. You are such a gem and you have so many life experiences uh, to share with others. I wish. We had more time and I can only say that God willing, we'll do this again if that's okay. Thank you so much today for for being with us on the podcast. You're welcome. That was terrific. Our first transatlantic conversation, hopefully not our last. I thought Philippe was quite engaged. So many takeaways for me, Dave, something that stood out. Number one was the importance of contingency planning. In business and how we should have multiple plans in place for different scenarios so that we can react quickly if we need to. Number two, the most important decision you make every day is to be in a good mood. I love that from his father. Easier said than done. Number three, he doesn't believe it's important to identify trends, even though I complimented him on his talent to do just that ironically he explained that if a trend can be identified it's too late it's already in the past Was awesome number four i liked hearing his belief in a new type of tourism focusing on the rebirth of the mind tourism on wellness and also on more connection with nature hadn't really thought about that before yeah i like that one a lot How about you? Did anything from Philippe's conversation stick out with you,
0: Dave? The other takeaway that I had that it's a little bit related to your first one about contingency planning, but he also mentioned uh, specifically about governments being a little bit more agile and maybe having a little bit less layers Mm. of bureaucracy because, you know, we've seen a a breakdown in certain governments reacting to COVID, and um, that would of course apply to all circumstances, not just COVID moving forward, but Philippe would like to see a little quicker response time. Very good. Uh, The other thing that I really loved that he said, and it's not so much a takeaway as just a great moment. Philippe has a great way of saying these uh, really inspiring Mm -hmm. things, you know, and I don't know, maybe his accent helps, but he (laughs) is a brilliant person who has experienced quite a bit and has a lot of wisdom. And uh, he said at one time, never be afraid of life. Never be afraid of adventure love that. I love that. He deal. lives it. He mm. does. Absolutely. Thank you. So we do have a little bit of listener mail that came in, and I would love to share one with you here. Go ahead. We got a comment from Dr. Aditi Gupta. She owns some clinics in uh, New York. She's a physician. She says, I started listening to your podcast. It's awesome. Exclamation point. Nice. It's very well balanced, smoothly executed, and packed with some good punches. I love it when there's high yield content out there. Thank you for doing that. Mm. And I love it when we hear from listeners. So thank you for that,
1: Aditi. And thank you to the others who send text and email messages. And please continue to do so. This actually wraps up season three of the Up To podcast. And so we're now building plans for season four. Let me know what you think about topics that we focus on. Let me know if you have ideas and potential guests. Let me know if you want me to stop doing this show, and we will accept (laughs) all feedback. Thank you. Where can they send that feedback, Adam? Please email me at adam at uptofoundation.org. Perfect. And as we wrap up this season, our third, Dave, I really want to thank our sponsors, our corporate partners who make this production possible, Vivid Front, Town Hall, and Calfee. We've heard about them each episode, but really, really appreciate not only the financial support, but the ideas they give me and the encouragement. I want to also thank all our guests in this season. We had yet another season of really compelling and diverse guests, and I do not take that for granted at all. They volunteer their time. They're very busy people, and they have so much to share. I want to also thank our individual donors. We have seen a number of listeners who decide to support the Up to Foundation. Recently, Dan Richards and Larry Wolf and others who sometimes prefer to be anonymous. Thanks to all of you. And finally, to you, Dave, our producer. It's been a terrific season. We've had two of these together, and I feel like the show gets better each week. Thanks to you.
0: Oh, Thanks to you, Adam. I'm really glad to be a part of it. It's been a treat. So thank you.
1: Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman, and thank you so much for listening to the Up To podcast.